good evening. Uh, welcome to Coffee House Theology. It's, uh, man, we're getting really close to April, aren't we? Holy cow, that's come, popping up here in just a little bit. Uh, welcome welcome on this uh, windy evening, at least, coming in. I think we've got some storms coming, so it should be, we are, we are the soon-to-be-wet, I think is kind of what we're going to end up being. But uh, excited to have you here. Um, we're talking about prayer tonight, uh, the theology of prayer and how wonderful that is. If, you, if you're new, um, I'm Brian Ball. Jay, Jay Strother co-teaches uh, with, with us uh, together. And um, if you want to ask questions, you can go to slido.com or shoot this QR code. And if you go to slido.com, the room number is 015-343. And then you can ask questions. You can also, if there are questions that are asked and you like them, you can like them and that'll move them up. So we'll have a, a chance, uh, a chance to, uh, to understand that and answer those first. And uh, let's see, we, got, we meet next week and then we're off the Wednesday of Holy Week. And so we got one more week, and then we're going to be off a week. So just heads up on that. And uh, I think we're good. Ready to roll? Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Thankful for prayer, Father. And, and not that you just allow us to pray, but that you command us to pray. That you want that personal relationship with us, Father. And so we are just we're in awe, and we're grateful. Uh, Father, that you would have that with us. So be with Jay as he teaches tonight, Father. Uh, let us be changed. Don't let us be the same people that came in, that go out, because as we encounter your truth, Father, we should be changed to be more like Christ. And, and let that be. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening, and uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you, Brian, for going solo. Last week, I taught at the Nolensville campus uh, with their students last Wednesday night. I had a great time with them, and uh, so Brian covered miracles with you guys as we kind of continue with Theology 101. We're into the doctrine of providence, and so last week, miracles falls under that. This week, prayer uh, falls under that. A couple things to be praying for, uh, just top of mind. Uh, one is continue to pray for our Pursue campaign as a church. Uh, we had our uh, first commitment Sunday this past Sunday across all eight campuses had really great response here. Uh, thank you to those of you guys who've been praying just about what God's doing in Middle Tennessee and what he wants to do in and through our church. Uh, and then this week is kind of a commitment Sunday too. Uh, we won't have quite the moment. We'll just have people put commitment cards in the offering plate. And of course, you can learn more and commit at PursueTN.com uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance to check that out yet. But uh, continue to pray for that uh, as uh, we've got some big projects in the life of the church and uh, we're asking for the Lord to give us clarity and wisdom uh, on resources as as we move forward. Uh, the other thing to pray for is a little more immediate with this line of storms coming. We're going to try to finish up about 730 tonight. Just give everybody plenty of time to get home before the main line get here, but my, uh, gets here. But my daughters uh, are students at Union University. If you remember, it was devastated by tornadoes about 15 years ago, and they are under a tornado warning, and a tornado is in Jackson right now. Uh, so they're in their safe spot, all those kind of things. But if my phone's blowing up, if I'm a little distracted, that's why. Um, and so uh, we know they're in the Lord's hands, but uh, obviously people on that campus get very, very nervous. It's actually an incredible story and testimony to prayer if you were around or if you know what happened. That tornado came right through the heart of campus uh, and the initial first responders said, send 100 body bags. We're going to find that many dead students and not a single student died. Um, but it literally took a direct hit on the dorms and several other buildings, and so uh, pretty incredible story. One of my very good friends from growing up is the communications director there uh, and was on CNN, Fox, uh, everything the very next morning, uh, just uh, being able to give testimony to God uh, for, uh, for how he, he protected the students um, in that, that tornado. So we're praying that uh, tonight will be nothing like that uh, there and here uh, and everywhere in between, uh, but it's fitting. We're talking about prayer, uh, and does prayer matter? Uh, 
Uh, and so uh, the questions that we put at the top there, of course, if God is sovereign, why is prayer important? Uh, answering those questions, right? If, if we believe in the providence of God, we'll get into that tonight, then, then what difference does prayer make? And I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Uh, and we need to remember that. And if you're wired the way I am, I'm a doer by nature. And so sometimes it's just naturally natural for doers to ask that question, right? What, what does prayer do? And we'll talk about that. But first, we, we need to define it. Uh, and so let's define prayer. And uh, Grudem puts it very simply, very straight in a very straightforward manner. Prayer is personal communication with God. It's what it is, just like I'm communicating with you, uh, right? Prayer is us communicating with God. Uh, it's having a conversation with him. Now, there's a lot that goes into that, uh, that goes into that category if we really begin to break it down. It includes, of course, prayer of requests, uh, prayers of requests for ourselves. We sometimes call that petition, where we bring our petitions to God. It's prayer for others. We call that intercession. Uh, the confession of sin, of course, is a prayer. Uh, adoration, adoring God for who he is, his character, his nature. We've talked about that earlier this semester, and hopefully that's our time together has led you to adore him in, in your prayer and in your praise. Praise can be uh, also a form of prayer. Uh, thanksgiving, and of course, sometimes we forget about the other side of the equation, that God communicating to us indications of response. Uh, and so hearing God, listening to God um, in, in prayer. And there's a story that I like to tell uh, about prayer, just a, a little experience I had with prayer that kind of sums up uh, a lot of things about this definition of prayer for me. Uh, when I was a college student, I uh, was feeling God's tug into ministry, and so I would take opportunities, uh, kind of whatever came my way. <laughs> Early on in ministry, it was like, all right, well, Lord, you, you opened that door, so I'm going to jump through it, right? I'm, I'm gonna, and I'm going to learn. And it's a little later as you get in life, you begin to narrow that calling a little bit. But uh, there was one summer that uh, there was an associational children's camp. And my mom was friends with the lady who was the director. Uh, they were short on guys to help with first through fifth grade boys at this camp. And so my mom said, hey, uh, Virginia needs some help with camp. Would you be willing to help her? And so I looked at my calendar and those four or five days or so that week, I, I was pretty clear. And so I said, yeah, I'll be, be glad to go and help. Uh, and so I thought it was going to be one of many guy counselors. I showed up at this little camp to discover I was the only male counselor uh, for 23 first through fifth grade boys, many of whom had never been away from home before. Uh, and so this uh, was camp was literally had been gifted to the association. It was in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, there wasn't much to do there. You had to come up with all the entertainment. There was basically only two buildings. Uh, there was kind of a pole frame gymnasium that doubled as the cafeteria, the worship center, uh, you know, and, and the meeting place. It had a little kitchen attached to it. There was a little scummed over pond out behind it. And then across the creek, there was a bunkhouse. You had girls on one side, guys on the other, cinder, cinder, uh, old cinder block bunkhouse. Uh, the bathrooms were there in the middle, and then there was kind of a, a little gathering room in that facility as well between the, the two sides of the bunkhouse. Uh, and so it was pretty entertaining. Uh, as a matter of fact, as we were checking kids in, I, by the time I got over to the guys' side of the bunkhouse, uh, a bunch of little wet boys in their swimsuits all came up to me, uh, and they had this weird green slime on their backs. They had already said, Pastor Jay, we took towels and we stuffed them in the drain and we made it like a, super, a slip and slide in the, in, the, in the room and the bathrooms hadn't been cleaned. So that was like mold and like slime that was on their back. So these little boys were running full speed and sliding in this concrete shower room, right? Uh, like it was a slip and slide. And so I was like, this is gonna be a rough week. And so I knew right away I had to enlist some help. 
And so there was a group of fifth grade boys, and I could just tell, you know, they were the athletic ones. They were the ones that everybody kind of looked up to as the leaders. And so right away, day one, number one, I pulled them inside and said, guys, I'm going to need your help this week. I'm going to need you to be my, my, my junior counselors, okay? I, I need to basically make them deputies, you know, Barney Fife's for me. Because I said, I'm going to have to have you keep an eye out for me, helping me, you know, when things get a little crazy. And so they were all on board. They were pretty excited about this. And so I just said, and at the end of the week, we'll, we'll do something special, right? And I had no idea what we were going to do. Uh, and so sure enough, the week went great. One of the boys in this little group of three or four guys, his name was Toby. And as the week went on, I nicknamed him Praying Toby. The reason why is because every time, you know, the camp director or the Bible study leader or the worship leader said, hey, would anybody like to say a prayer, right? Pray for the meal, pray for whatever. Toby would stick his hand up in the air like this, right, and wave it around. And so Toby prayed almost every single thing we did the entire week long. So I just was like, I nicknamed him Praying Toby. Well, fast forward to last night of camp. And so I, I knew we needed to do something to celebrate these guys. And so they're like, what are we doing, Pastor Jay? What are we doing? And so I said, well, uh, we'll come up with something tonight after everybody's in bed. And so uh, we put all the kids to bed. I kind of made sure most of them were asleep. And then I went and I woke up the guys in their bunk. And so I had my, my little hoodie on. You know, I told them to get their hoodies on. And so I said, we're sneaking out. And so they're like, ooh, you know. I mean, we're in the middle of a cornfield in South Central Illinois. How much trouble could we get into? But we snuck over across the creek. You know, I kind of made it like Mission Impossible style. You know, we, we busted into the kitchen and we ate ice cream. Uh, there was a way, a little ladder you could get on kind of the little low porch roof. And so we sat up there and we, we went out to the dock and we skimmed rocks off the, you know, off the pond in the middle of the night. And we snuck back into the dorm, you know. And, and the guys were like, that was so cool, Pastor Jay, thanks. And I was like, you guys have been great this week. Thank you. I thought mission accomplished. It was all good. So the next morning we get up, clean up, pack up, and there's the last session in which the parents have all come to pick up their kids. And so I'm thinking, this went so well. I'm so encouraged. And so the kids got up and they did their songs and they showed the parents their crafts they had made. And I could tell my mom's friend, Miss Virginia, she's just beaming with joy how well it all went. And I'm just thinking, I can't wait home to get a nap, you know. And so uh, very last prayer as we're closing camp, Miss Virginia says, anybody want to pray, right? Guess who raises his hand? Praying Toby, right? Waves his hand in the air. So Miss Virginia's like, yes, Toby, you may pray. And so Toby, you know, hands together, you know, clenches his eyes as tight as he can, and he starts to pray real loud. He was a very loud kid. He had like one of those kids, you know, two volumes, right, on or off, and he was, he was on. So he starts to pray. He was like, dear God, it's been a great week in your beautiful creation, and we thank you for the sun, and we thank you for the food we ate. And man, he just, I mean, he just starts preaching in the middle of this prayer, right? He's just going on, we thank you for what we learned about Jesus, and we are so grateful for you and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, he kind of got quiet. He goes, but Jesus, there's something I need to confess to you. We snuck out of the bunkhouse last night, and we stole ice cream. And by now, right, Virginia's looking at me, boring holes to me, and the parents are like, what? What camp did, you know, what was going on? And I was like, and he goes, so, so, but, and Pastor Jay said it was okay. <laughs> and by now, I'm like, I'm not getting invited back to this camp ever again. And so, 
in the name of Jesus, amen, right? And so everything, we were this close, right? And we were this close. But, but I remember that prayer because if you look at this list, like Toby did it all, right? He prayed for himself. He confessed his sin. He praised God for the week we had. He gave thanks for everybody and everything. And so the reason why I tell that story is because I still remember that kid because he was just so earnest about prayer. Like he was, a childlike faith. And there is something in our prayer lives, and it's, you know, that, that Jesus told us to follow that example of that, that childlike faith. And, you know, in the Bible, it says we can come to God as Abba Father, the way a child talks to their father. Uh, and Toby had that kind of, of conversational relationship with God where he literally told him everything, you know, regardless of who else was in the room. Uh, and so praying Toby to me is just that example of, of what it looks like uh, to bring everything to God in prayer. And I think as we get older, we begin to, you know, sometimes forget the beauty of simple communication with God. And so when we begin to think about this idea of providence and prayer, right, we begin to ask these questions. Like if God really is sovereign, if he, he, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's all of these things, right? He's on the omnis we've talked about. Uh, he holds the whole world in his hands. If we, if we go back to our definition of providence from week eight, it's this. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. In other words, God is unchanging. Number two, he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And number three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. So how does that play out in prayer? And much like, again, that's why prayer fits under this topic of providence so well, is because we need to remember two biblical keys. Number one, that God's plans are definite and fixed, right? It's not subject to revision. God doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, we don't change God's mind when we pray. But on the other hand, number two, we know this biblically. We are commanded to pray, and we are taught that prayer has value. And so much like the providence of God, we can embrace both of those things because they are biblical and true, right? That there is divine sovereignty and yet human responsibility at the same time. We have to recognize that both those things play out in our prayer lives. That yes, God is sovereign and in control of all things, and yet at the same time, he has purposed and willed and commanded his people to pray. And as we'll see, the Bible is clear that prayers make a difference, that prayers are effective. Matter of fact, James 5, 16 puts it this way, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And that's the testimony of the brother of Jesus himself, James. So we know that in Scripture, God has chosen to work in partnership or, or in cooperation, if you want to use that word with humans, to accomplish his will and carry out his purposes in prayer. Mark 6, 6, uh, Jesus talking about the faith response of people in his hometown in Nazareth said to them, a prophet is not with on, without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And what a tragic statement, right? We find times where Jesus says Jesus was amazed. We'll see this in the story of the centurion. He's amazed at their faith. But man, what a thing to be said, that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And I fear the same would be said of many evangelical Christians today. He's amazed at our lack of belief in what prayer can do. 
And so uh, when we begin to realize this, we begin to think and, and understand that prayer is not so much getting God to do our will. That's what we're tempted to turn it into, right? God, here you are the divine Santa Claus, and here is my wish list for you, right? We realize biblically prayer is not so much about God doing our will as it is demonstrating that we are as concerned as God is that his will be done that it aligns our hearts with him. One pastor says, praying is less changing our circumstance and more changing our perspective, helping us to see the way that God sees when we bring those things to him in prayer. So let's talk about three reasons why God wants us to pray. Number one, to grow our faith by learning to express our trust and dependence on God. As we talked about on Sunday, right, in the Gospel of John, that word belief, right? God, uh, Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. And we know belief is trust and dependence in God. And prayer is one of the ways that we show we believe, one of the ways that we demonstrate our faith. Prayer is clearly not telling God things he already knows. I know that sometimes I'm guilty of that, right, in my prayer. Uh, sometimes I need to. I need to recite what's going on. It's not wrong to do that. But sometimes I act in my heart, right, as if God doesn't already know his faith. God, do you see this? God, do you know the way my children are behaving? Yes, okay, or he does. I'm not telling him something he doesn't know. Now, expressing it to him genuinely, asking for his wisdom, asking uh, for um, discernment as a parent, those things are good and well, and we should do those. And so when you see uh, verses like Matthew 6, 8, and 10, which comes from, of course, uh, the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching on prayer, he says this, don't be like them, talking about the Pharisees, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And so that relationship that we have with God as Father is important for understanding our prayer life. Because as a dad, I can perceive and know what my children need, maybe before they realize it. And as a father, I could go ahead and step ahead, right, and go ahead and do whatever it is for them or get whatever it is they need. But as a father, what do you want your kids to do? You want them to come and ask. You want them to see the need. You want them to respond. You want them to approach you as father. And so in the same way, our heavenly father knows what we need. And so prayer and humble dependence indicates that we are genuinely convinced of God's attributes. Remember all those things we talked about earlier this semester. We believe that God is all wise, that he is all loving, that he is good, that he is powerful. And when we bring to him these things in our life, in which we need wisdom, in which we need love, in which we need his power, then we are honoring him as we do that. We are showing him we're convinced that he is all of those things. And importantly, we are relating to God as a person, right? Not as just some right, deity floating around out there, but we're coming to him as a person, making a personal request of him in the creator-created relationship. So our humble dependence on him, right, is, is something that, that brings him honor and it deepens our relationship with him. So the first reason God wants us to pray, to grow our faith by expressing our trust and dependence on him. Number two, to deepen our relationship with him, to deepen that fellowship. It's an interesting time because we have two who are off in college. And so my wife, if she hasn't heard from them in a day or two, will say, oh, I haven't heard from the girls. Why? She misses them. 
She misses those days, right? When she can just pop upstairs and talk to him or have a conversation. And so, you know, we might be in the middle of the most heartfelt conversation we ever have. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's the girls. And guess where I go on the priority list? Okay, right down, right? Why? Because she longs to talk to her girls, to her children. And so in that same way, you can't have a relationship with somebody that you don't have deep and intimate conversations with. It's what keeps the relationship going. I had an interesting conversation with the girls. They were home this weekend on the back half of their spring break about what life was like before social media. Because our girls were saying, you know, mom and dad, we don't really keep up with many of our friends from high school anymore, you know? And they were like, we just see their posts and stuff on Instagram and on Snapchat and on whatever they're on, those kind of things. And we were like, what do you think it was like back in our day, right? Like if you wanted to keep up with someone, you had to literally pick up a landline and make a phone call and catch them when they were home, or you had to send a letter in the mail in order to keep relationship with people right from your past that you didn't see anymore. You know, we have way more ways to stay connected now. But the point again is relationship. You have to be able to communicate with someone on a consistent basis to keep that relationship going. God delights in relationship and he loves us and relates to us in prayer as a good, good father. We should pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Luke 11, 9 through 12, it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so I know as a dad, again, my impulse, my heart is to, to help my kids out, to do what's good for them. Well, if, if that's me, right, and I'm tainted by sin, well, how much more willing and, and, and able is God uh, in his relationship with us to, to give and to provide as we ask? And so he wants us to cultivate that kind of dependence and relationship on him. And then number three, the third reason why God wants us to pray is to be involved with God in activities that are eternally important. Have you ever thought about this before? Is that what, not only, you know, we often think of prayer as, yeah, we're privileged in the sense that we can bring before God all of our petitions and all of our concerns and all of our issues, but has it ever occurred to you that prayer is also partnering with God to accomplish his purposes in the world? And what a privilege that that is. Because does God need us? No. But God has chosen to work in and through the prayers of his people. Just like he uses us to minister to other people. Just like he uses us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are needy, to people who are hurting. That is an honor and a privilege to be used by God, to work with God. Again, let's not be mistaken, right? We don't need to go out and drum up business for God. I know there's a, a, a two groups going through experiencing God in our church right now, and I love the stories that I'm hearing from that. And that's one of the great principles of experiencing God, right, is we, we sense where God's at work and we join him there. Prayer is one of the ways that we join with God in what he's doing in the world. And so when we pray, the work of the kingdom is advanced and we get to contribute in a significant way, giving expression to our greatness, not because we're great, right? But because we were created in God's image. Have you ever thought about this? That's part of what he created us for, was to partner with him in prayer to see him accomplish his purposes in the world. 
So we get to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like what, what a cool privilege that is. A.C. Dixon, who is the longtime pastor of uh, Moody Chapel in um, Chicago, uh, said this. He said, when we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. But we, when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. Such a great quote. Such a great quote. John Piper puts it this way. He says, we often treat prayer as if it is a domestic intercom for our convenience, right? Hey, God, I need a little bit of this. Hey, can I have some help with this bill? Hey, I'm having a hard time with my kid. Hey, I'm having a hard time with my boss, right? He says, it is a walkie-talkie for warfare that we have direct access to our commander-in-chief through prayer. Uh, and we'll talk about that access more in just a moment. But I think that's a powerful word picture for us to understand just what we have uh, in prayer. So, how does prayer work? Well, it's part of the mystery of God, just like his providence, right? Uh, we, we don't know or understand the mind of God in this sense of why he chose uh, prayer to work in the way that it does, but we know this is clear from Scripture. Prayer is effective. God prays, and we respond. It's all over the Bible, right? James 4, 2. You have not, because why? Because you ask not, right? Let's just put it simply, state it simply. There's a lot of things in our life that, man, we are, we are trying our best in our own ingenuity, with our own resources, with our own abilities to figure it out. And God's like, hey, psh, maybe you should ask me, you know? Because I got the answer you're looking for. <laughs> you have not because we ask not. Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 9 through 12, what we talked about just a moment ago. If you seek and you will find, knock, the door will be open to you, uh, right? Ask and it will be given unto you. And so Jesus is clear to us that when we pray, God responds. 1 John 1, 9. And when it comes to confession, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to confess those things to him, and then he forgives. We know, number two, that effective prayer is made possible by our mediator, Jesus Christ. So, of course, we are sinful, God's holy. And so the idea, especially in the ancient world, they understood this idea, right, of the sovereign king. The idea that you would just stroll into the throne room of a king, and you've all read enough books or seen enough movies to know, you don't just stroll up to the throne of a king and just demand what you want, right? Right? You don't get to do that or you probably get your head chopped off or you get thrown in the dungeon or something like that. But because of what Jesus has done, we now have a mediator, a great high priest, who is the one who enables us to go before the throne. And so he's the, that mediator high priest who enables us to not only approach God, but we can approach him boldly in prayer. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for us all, a testimony at the proper time. And then Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is one of my absolute favorite passages on prayer. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So not only, right, is Jesus this incredible go-between, but he has experienced, he has felt the temptations that you and I feel. He has felt the emotions that you and I feel as fully man and yet fully God. 
And so that means he's not this right distant deity who's like, oh, you pitiful thing, right? So instead, he relates to us. He's been in our shoes. He knows what it feels like. And so he is sympathetic towards us, even emotionally being able to identify with us in our own weaknesses. Yet, of course, he is without sin. And so because of this, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So you and I can boldly and confidently bring our prayers, our petitions, our thanksgiving, whatever it is, into the throne room of God himself, not because we deserve it or earned it, but because of what Jesus has done. And there, what do we get in return? We don't get our heads chopped off. We don't even get mocked and shamed, right? Instead, we receive mercy and find grace to help us. And I love this. It's a timely help. We get what we need in that moment. Just as a parent or a grandparent, you know what your children needs in that moment. And your children are all different, by the way, in the way that they respond to and, and what they react to. God, our Heavenly Father, knows exactly what we need moment by moment but we need to bring it to him, and we have that access. There is a quote from Tim Keller's book on prayer uh, that is one of my absolute favorite quotes on prayer of all time as well. He says, uh, he says this, uh, he says, the only kind of person who dares to wake up a king at three in the morning and ask for a glass of water is the king's child. We have that kind of access. Isn't that powerful? Like, we have a God who says, you can call on me any time of the day or night. He's the king of the universe. And yet, we can come to him anytime with anything. Why? Because we are his children, because of what Jesus Christ has done. So do not forget that. Now, this question will arise sometimes, right? If God hears our prayers because of what Jesus has done, we have access to him. Well, what about people who are unbelievers? Does God hear their prayers? It's a good question. And what it depends on, right, is our definition of the word hearing. Can God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Well, sure, because he's God. He's omniscient, right? He knows everything everybody thinks, everything anybody says or does. But what's interesting is, right, in the Bible, there are no promises in Scripture that he responds except for when he chooses to by his grace and mercy. Have you ever thought about that before? Now, he does. So, and he often, and, and think about it, the prayer of a sinner, right? So confessing, right, coming to God, right? He, in his grace and mercy, right, he hears that prayer and, and, and receives that prayer. Uh, but in their other prayers, right, God's not on the hook, right, for them because those prayers are effective because of what Jesus has done. And so what a gift that we have as believers and we need to recognize that as well. Number three, we pray in the name of Jesus. Now, of course, the name of Jesus isn't a magical formula, but rather praying with his authority and in a way that is consistent with his character honors him. Uh, we have been in the book of John uh, on Sunday mornings. John 14 was this past week, a few verses just past the one that we studied this Sunday. Uh, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, you pluck that verse out of context, and it sounds like what? Serious prosperity gospel, right? I'm just going to pray in the name of Jesus, and he's got to do it. You sit it in the context of John 14, and you realize Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. So that when you align your heart with 
his, that's what he's speaking of, of course. Of course, your prayers, right, are going to be effective because you're praying in line with his will. And so whatever you ask in my name, the idea there being is that I'm not going to give my authority to things that are not in of my will, right? I don't lend my name, right, just to a stamp just because you want it. Instead, the things that honor me, the things that advance my kingdom, the things that serve people and love people and show people mercy, grace uh, in my name, those are the things, right, that are accomplished in the name of Jesus. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, as we continue to look at these, these verses, uh, we see examples, right, throughout the book of Acts uh, of what that looks like. For example, Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so we know that name of Jesus has power in it, and Jesus was on display working in and through the life of the apostles. Acts 4, 7, after what they had, uh, and Peter, uh, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? And of course, they responded, in the name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to be specific about it. And so we recognize that we pray in the name of Jesus. However, there's also examples of time in the Bible when people pray uh, in the name of the Father, of course, and you can pray in the name of the Spirit. Uh, there's not specific examples of that in the Bible, but as we talked about in our week on the Trinity, they are one, all right? They are God, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and so we can pray to any of them and know that we are praying to God. And then how does prayer work? Number four, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. And man, this is such an encouragement to me because the Spirit takes part in prayer with us and strengthens our weak prayers. If we confess and if we're honest, there are days, right, all we can do is groan. All we can do is look at the news, right, hear about yet something else terrible happening in our community, somebody else being diagnosed with cancer, somebody else's kid in rebellion, on and on, and you just, you're just like, ugh, right? And you groan along with all of creation, as the Bible says. Well, Paul says this in Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do know not, we do not know uh, what to pray for as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of god you know and i ha have this little moment i was thinking about this illustration today uh, skyler is five years old and liam plays basketball and so he's got that basketball goal out in our driveway you know set up it he, he likes to put it about nine feet right now because it makes him feel like he's an nba player you know uh, as a seventh grader because he can jump up and grab the rim those kind of things and little sky will get the basketball right and she so badly wants to get that shot up there right she heaves it she throws it she's just not strong enough or tall enough to do it yet and so there are those times his dad like you know i'm out there hanging out with him and she throws one up and i'll kind of take it and i'll kind of bounce it up right and i'll put it in the goal and you know she yes that's, that's a picture of what the holy spirit does for us in our prayer right we heave up the best we have sometimes all we can muster and what does god do right the holy spirit helps us get it all the way home he helps complete that prayer uh, and so that is such good news for us because often even when we feel like our prayer life is weak god says i'll take it like start there right you don't have to pray, you know, like Mother Teresa in order to, for your prayers to be heard. But start where you're at and bring those things to me. The Bible often talks about praying in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Paul says also, pray for me 
that my message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make it known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Uh, Jude 20, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean to, to pray in the Spirit? Does it mean we have this like mystical experience? Well, it means to pray with conscious awareness of God's presence, both surrounding us and sanctifying us. So it's surrounding us and it's helping us, right, to know how we become more like Jesus in our prayers. So four ways how prayer works. All right, now let's talk about prayer 101. Let's talk about some of the practical application of these prayers. Number one, we seek to pray according to God's will. That's a key aspect of prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So we often ask for God to show us his will, but we also need to be careful because we also don't need to ask God about his will when scripture has already made it abundantly clear, right? God, do you want me to show justice to others? Yes, okay, that's abundantly clear. Do you want me to be merciful? Yes, right? Do you want me to have the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, okay, those things are non-negotiables in Scripture. And yet all the time we're like, Lord, this neighbor's really hard to love, right? So if it's your will, then give me the chance to, to love my neighbor. No, right? Okay, you already know God's will. You're supposed to do that thing. And so you don't have to ask, right? Let's be careful about that. But if we're genuinely uncertain, it is okay to ask for wisdom. Because there are things where we are seeking God's wisdom. Sometimes I'm seeking his timing. Sometimes I'm seeking, Lord, what are the words that I need to say? Would your words right, be helpful? I love James 1, 5 through 8. I quote this one all the time. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Can I get a hallelujah, amen? Right? Because all the time I feel like I lack wisdom. It's funny. When I was like 20 years old, I thought I was the wisest cat on earth. Right? But now I'm a 46-year-old dad of five and a pastor, and I feel like I don't know anything a lot of days. Right? Lord, give me wisdom. And so, bottom line, ask for it if you don't have it. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So that doesn't mean that what God tells me is going to be easy, does it? Right? But I'm going to ask. And I'm going to have confidence in him that when he reveals his truth through his word, through godly counsel, through the circumstances that he aligns, that I've got to make a decision and I've got to move forward boldly. Because if not, then, right, then I'm just back to where I started. I'm unstable. I'm like that ship that's tossed back and forth. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. And just a quick side note, I see this more in Christians now than I've ever seen. I think our world is leading us to this place where we just, it feels so confusing to us. There's a lot of double-mindedness out there. And so I think we need to be confident. That's why we spend as much time as we do in the Word and talking about the doctrine of Scripture because we know we can stand on those truths and those principles. And then in prayer, right, when you've sealed that deal, if you're seeking to apply those principles to your life, when you make that decision, be confident. Don't be double-minded. You know, I see it in leadership, especially uh, in our nation, in our country, in our world. You have double-minded leaders who flip and flop, right, with every prevailing wind. And somebody says, you should do it this way, they do it that way. Somebody else says, you should. No, you have to lead with conviction. 
You, you have to know and settle in your heart. This may be a difficult path to walk, but based on what God's word says, based on the fact that I've brought it to him in prayer and asked for wisdom, based on the fact, right, there's, there's nothing else prohibiting where the direction I feel God going, we're gonna move confidently because we have to make a decision and move forward. So I wanna get a sidetrack there, but that's a big one. Um, we need to be sure that we are seeking God's will in his word and then that we are looking for his wisdom as we pray. Number two, backside of the page. By the way, I did succeed in getting this on just one sheet of paper, right? It is nine-point font, sorry, right? So turn up your bifocals if you need to. We should pray in faith. Prayer helps us develop a God-given confidence and a sense of assurance that he is at work. Uh, if we look at Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It's that confidence factor. Again, prayer is never wishful thinking for it springs from trust in a personal God who wants us to take him at his word. His promises are there. That's why we need to know him. So I mentioned on Sunday, right, there's 318 times in the New Testament that Jesus says, I'm coming back for you, okay? You don't have to wonder, does Jesus really care? Is he gonna come back for me at the end? No, 318 times he tells you, let that grow your faith, right? And, and you can remind him of that in prayer consistently as it strengthens your heart. Number three, there's a strong relationship in the Bible between prayer and obedience, since prayer is a relationship with God as a person, of course, disobedience is a hindrance to prayer. Disobedience is a hindrance to prayer. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Proverbs 28, 9, if anyone who, tur anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable. So there is that relationship aspect to prayer. While none of us, okay, of course, are sinless, we can't ignore that prayer and personal holiness are linked in Scripture. In other words, the more obedient you are, right, the more that honors God the Father, the more effective your prayers are going to be. And so, again, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done in and through us, we recognize that that relational aspect of our prayer life is strengthened through our obedience. Number four, we should also confess our sins in prayer. Yes, Jesus died on the cross once for all. So when we talk about the justification that we have in Christ, right, positionally, we are made righteous. But relationally, as we continue to struggle with our old nature, we sin. And therefore, we need to confess those sins and get right with God. Just like with your spouse, you know that you made a covenant, you made a marriage vow, right? You guys are in it for the long run, you know, you're, you're, you're good. But the reality is, is if you say something offensive to your wife, well, Brian, you better have flowers, right? Right, you better take her out, and you better ask for forgiveness and make it right because you want that relationship to be strong and strengthened. And so that's the same dynamic that we have in our relationship with God, and sometimes we, we tend to forget that. And so we've already quoted uh, 1 John 1, 9, uh, but there's other verses that speak to it as well, like uh, Matthew 6, 12, where Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's important for us to remember that. And number five, and all these are connected, of course, there's a relationship between prayer and forgiveness. Matthew 6, uh, 14 
and 15 say this if you for if you forgive others for their offenses your heavenly father will forgive you as well but if you don't forgive others your father will not forgive your offenses and so that's an interesting scripture isn't it for us to process and us to realize and what happens is as we hold on to those things against the others right then that comes again that's a rub in our relationship with god god says listen i've forgiven you for all of your sins so why are you going to hold it against somebody else? That is not bearing my image. That is not reflecting my character. And so that is also a hindrance to our prayer life. Uh, we notice that our prayer life can be grieved. It's interrupted until we ask for and seek forgiveness. And if we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, then prayer will be difficult. A couple of years ago, Tanya shared her testimony with you in here on a Wednesday night. Uh, she had a father who's not a believer uh, who abandoned her and her mom at two years old. Uh, who was the result of much, much struggle in her life. And when Tanya came to faith as a teenager, and when she was 18 years old, it was Colossians 3, forgive as Christ forgave you, that led her to go seek out her father and say, I forgive you. And she said it was the most freeing moment of her life because she went from being very angry, holding on to that anger against her biological father to just being able to release it to the Lord, right? And he didn't understand it. He didn't die a believer, sadly, um, he never turned around, but the reality is, is uh, for Tanya, it released that hold that that anger and that lack of forgiveness had on her um, by being willing to forgive a father who didn't even know, right, didn't even understand what forgiveness was, um, but she recognized the freedom that it led her to in her walk with Christ, in her prayer life, uh, in her ability to forgive. Number six, we should pray with humility. God gives grace to the humble in prayer. Uh, that's James 4, 6. He gives greater grace, therefore God says, uh, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. While our pride is always inappropriate. Luke 18, 11 through 12, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. That's <laughs> hilarious. God, I thank you, I'm not like the other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Poor guy who was standing there as an object lesson on that day, right? So I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Jesus rightfully calls out that kind of spiritual pride. Number seven, we should persevere in prayer. Moses, Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? Saying, I'm not gonna let you go until you've blessed me. Jesus himself in places like the Garden of Gethsemane and his praying all night, as it says in the Gospel of Luke, Paul, who prayed not once, not twice, but three times, right, for that thorn to be removed, right? First uh, Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. All of them model for us persistence in prayer. And so that's one thing we need to remember because, again, that deepens the relationship. It deepens the sense of trust as we persevere in prayer. Number eight, we should pray earnestly and with intensity. The Bible depicts Jesus, of course, praying intensely. Uh, Daniel himself uh, praying intensely. The prophets and more crying out to God. We can't fake prayer, right? You can't drum up artificial intensity, but our whole heart and our whole emotion should be fully engaged when we pray. I love this quote, right? It's from an anonymous author. Pray as nothing, pray as though nothing of eternal value will happen unless God does it. Like that's the kind of earnestness that should drive our prayers. Pray as if nothing that matters, right? Nothing of eternal value will happen unless God does it because in a sense that's very, very true. And then number nine, in prayer we learn to wait on the Lord. 
That's hard for us, right, to, to wait on the Lord. Uh, but that is part of the prayer journey as well. We know, as the old saying goes, God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. That third one, we probably hate that even more than no sometimes, don't we? Because when we want instant answers, we want instant everything, we think we have a timetable in our head that we want God to operate on. I can tell you story after story in my own life, right, in which it was clear that God's timing was all over the situation that was taking place in my life. Um, and so, yes, no, wait. Uh, I used to have a friend on staff of the Brentwood campus. His name was Bill Graham, first cousin of the Billy Graham. Uh, they grew up together, uh, and he was the guy who ran uh, the Sunday school board, the, the bookstores for a long time, came up with the name Lifeway, great guy. And he used to say, uh, God actually answers prayers in four ways. Yes, no, wait, and are you kidding me, right? Uh, and so good, good bit of humor, gives you a little insight into Bill's character. He was a great man, and he's with the Lord now. But actively waiting on the Lord to move in prayer is biblical and faith-building for us. Just like we don't always give our kids what we want, the exact moment that they want it, we know that it builds character for them uh, to have to wait. Psalm 135 and six, I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. I always found that fascinating because can't you imagine that watchman being like, man, I, I'm not gonna make it through the night. <laughs> like, come on, like some of you during my sermons, by the way, like, I'm not gonna make it, right, to the end of this thing. Like, come on, come on. And it's over and they're like, yeah, then go home and take a nap. Like, what a vivid and just realistic word picture the psalmist gives us there, man. More than the watchman, wait for the morning. We've made it through the night. I can rest. We can rest in the Lord as we wait on him in prayer. Number 10, we should pray in private much of the time. Praying in secret avoids hypocrisy, distraction, and the temptation to perform. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, you go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A friend, a mentor who says, a pastor you know his greatness by what he does in his prayer closet because that's who he is before the Lord. It's not what he does in the pulpit. It's not the big programs he runs at church, but it's who that man is, right? In secret before the Lord, that is the measure of the spiritual depth and the greatness of a man, of a person. Uh, and I think that's in line with what Jesus is saying here. Not that it's wrong to pray in public, but we have to guard in praying publicly against prayers of performance, praying things we think other people want to hear, all of those kind of things. And so that prayer time in secret, right, refines our prayers. Daniel, that was his habit, right, was to pray, right, in, in, in his room. And that's where he was caught praying um, before he was tried for that. Uh, and so even praying with others, interestingly enough, can be done discreetly. In Acts chapter 12, there's that story. The early church is praying for Peter. Uh, and, and so it says that that's what they did because they knew he was, he was under trial. And so Peter shows up at the door and the, you know, the girl comes out and is like freaked out because it's Peter and she has to go back in. Why? Because they're praying discreetly, right? Behind closed doors. And so literally the answer to their prayer is knocking on the door and uh, they, they don't answer the door at first. And so just kind of a humorous story in the book of Acts, but, but it's true that the early, model, uh, the early church models that for us. Speaking of that, we should, number 11, pray with others. Believers can and should find strength in corporate prayer. Uh, Matthew 18, 
And again, the context here is primarily church discipline, but you talk about a time when a church needs prayer, um, when you're dealing with sin in the congregation, and, and as you know, that's a delicate time, and the text is, truly again I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Uh, and so it's important for us to remember that. And then, of course, fasting and prayer are often connected in Scripture. Fasting increases our sense of humility and our dependence on God. It allows us to devote more time to prayer. It exercises self-discipline and it heightens spiritual awareness. I'll be honest, this is the least favorite spiritual discipline of every Baptist I've ever met, right? Um, but uh, when practiced, it's effective. And by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, when because there's a certain spiritual focus that comes when we deny ourselves things that we normally have, you know, food, whatever it is. Um, can be, we can fast from other things as well. I have friends who fast, rightly so, from social media. They fast from television or entertainment. Uh, there's different kinds of fast, but we focus our prayers during a season uh, on something very specific, uh, and God moves in a powerful way uh, in us and through us during those times. And so we could spend a whole session on fasting, several verses there, model it for us in Scripture. Um, obviously, if you have health conditions, you need to pay attention, right, to fasting and, and, and those kind of things. So I always want to share that as well. Uh, but fasting and prayer are connected in Scripture. And then, last but certainly not least, one we all grapple with, what do we do about unanswered prayer, right? Well, bottom line, it should not keep us from praying. We don't know God's timing, do we? We don't know God's timing. Uh, it says in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That word is that kairos time, uh, is the word there. There's chronos time, the time of chronology, the time of the clock in the New Testament. But God operates often on kairos time. He uses chronological time, of course. But when you see the word kairos in the Bible, it's an indication that this is God's unique moment. And so we need to be aware of that. We don't often know God's timing. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't always pray according to God's will, as we've talked about, and we don't always pray in faith. God's ways are higher than ours, and so sometimes we can't fathom what God is up to, and he always has the better plan, just like in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, where Joseph looks back over all that had happened in his life, his betrayal and all those things, and said, what man intended for evil, God intended for good, so that many might be saved. We know Jesus, Paul, David, they all experienced unanswered prayer. Jesus specifically, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I pray, right, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so when prayer remains unanswered, we have to continue to trust God, that he is working out all things for his purposes. We continue to cast our cares on him because he cares for us, 1 Peter 5, 7, and we, of course, continue to hold on to his promises. One of my favorite quotes about unanswered prayer comes from C.S. Lewis. He says this in his letters to Malcolm. If God granted me all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where would I be now? One day, I think this is a, a powerful statement, one day we'll be as grateful for God, uh, for the prayers God didn't answer as we are for the ones that he did, right? I remember that high school girlfriend, and I was like, God, she's the one. She's the one I wanna be with forever, right? I'm so glad he didn't answer that prayer. I never would've met Tanya. Uh, you know, my whole life would be different. You know, these silly prayers we pray, you know, in our immaturity, uh, and sometimes God doesn't answer them, and we have to recognize that's because he had something else in store. He had something else for us. 
All right. So hopefully uh, that, those resonate with you in those points. Um, tonight we were planning to have a time of prayer built around the Lord's Prayer because of the weather. We're going to do questions and then slip out of here in just a couple of minutes. But this is just a simple outline that walks through the model prayer or what we call the Lord's Prayer um, that you guys can take home and pray through. Uh, pray sincerely, right? Verse 5, pray for God's affirmation, not man's applause. That was the verse we just read about how the Pharisees prayed in public, drawing attention to themselves. Jesus said, fine, you got what you wanted. You got the attention of man, right? If we pray in a similar way, the same thing is true. So pray sincerely. Pray secretly. Jesus talks about the secret place. Pray specifically, you know, specific prayers. If my, my, my children come to me and say, hey, Dad, uh, I want uh, food, you know, like, well, could you narrow it down here a little bit, right? Could you be a little more specific? And sometimes we're guilty of praying to God, right, these broad generalities when he wants us to bring the specifics to him. And then pray like this, right? Our Father who art in heaven, right? God is present. He's pure. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is powerful. And, of course, God provides. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He pardons and then he protects, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we added the line, of course, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And when Liam was little and we were watching the predators, he said, and the goalie forever, amen, <laughs> right? So, and the glory forever, amen. All right, Brian, we got a few questions to tackle tonight. We do, we do. We've got about one minute if we want to want to get out of here well, yeah we can, yeah we'll, we'll give a little grace all right the first one is if we can't these are fantastic questions y'all are awesome if we can't change god's mind should we simply pray for his will to be done rather than presenting requests i no i think we pray specifically god and again i love what you said right god we're not surprising god with anything we pray right. he knows what the desire of our hearts are but i think what that does is it presents our our desires in his context Good. At least that's what it does for me, that's right? Great way to put and, it. and it frames mm -hmm. what I it brings. Right, the, what the Spirit does in, in me when I'm praying those things is it helps bring a perspective yeah, of good. what's the what is the eternity that's yeah. around. Well, and even sometimes in my own prayers, right? As I'm praying them, I'm convicted <laughs> right. by my own lack of faith, or I'm convicted of how ridiculous this <laughs> thing I'm praying for is, or what you know. Even right. that has a kind of a sanctifying effect. And again, I think that the biggest answer to that is, well, God clearly instructs us to bring those things to Him, right? Right. So, right. so we we're supposed to to pray in that way, right? And and, I, and like you say, it's it's just it so really it's a is. both and for sure. It is great point though. It is. Um, familiarity breeds contempt. How can we maintain childlike intimacy with God without falling into contempt for Him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the humility, mm -hmm. right? Under Good. understand understanding yeah. who I am and who He is. Mm -hmm. And, and the more I, you know, at least the, the longer I, I have walked in faith, the, the more I understand the greatness of God, right? And it's, it's this prov that providential thing. And it, it's, it's just humbling, yeah. right? It's just humbling. And, and I think maintaining that humility yeah. kind of keeps that perspective. Yeah, and I'm not sure if this was the way it was intended, but this is where my mind jumped to immediately. You know, I know that we can tend to become rote, yeah. Or we, we tend yeah. to cycle back to the same prayers over and over again. So for me, one of the best things I've learned over the years is to pray scripture. Amen. Is to allow the Bible to shape the words of my prayers. Mm. 
Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's literally just it's psalms are great for that. So I will, when I feel like I'm in a rut in yep. my prayer life, I'll go open up a psalm. And if you pray through, you start praying through those scriptures and you allow that, man, that really has deepened my prayer life. Uh, there's a resource on there, Tim Keller's book on prayer, experiencing yeah. awe and intimacy with God. He, he has a couple of really great chapters on praying scripture. That really helps keep my prayer life, um, you know, fresh. fresh. Um, when, when I do that, uh, and I'll find specific passages, right? Like if, hey, spiritual warfare, battle, I'm going to Ephesians 6, right? And I'm going to literally pray through the helmet of salvation, and, you know, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And, you know, so, so helping pray scripture helps keep it fresh. When well, it brings, right, the spirit praying with you and the word, right? Yes, and praying to the together. five brings that Trinitarian perspective into those things. Mm, absolutely. Right? Is, is what I, I think. Another fantastic question. Did Abraham change God's plan when asking that Sodom and Gomorrah be saved from destruction? So, this is another example, right, of what we've talked about in God's sovereignty. Yep. God knew what would happen. Yep. But also human responsibility. Mm -hmm. Right. So God willed to work through the prayers and petitions of Abraham, mm -hmm. of Moses. Right. You know, when, when you know, it says God was angry with he, the people he and said, he relented. Yep. Of course, some of that we've talked before, biblical language, the anthropomorph anthropomorphisms, right? The, the human, you know, the authors of scripture trying to help us as humans yep. process, right, what is happening um, with God, and so we have to also take that into context as well. But what is clear, again, in Scripture is, is that God has decreed that his people pray That's and it. that those prayers are effective. Right, right, and how that interacts with providence. Right, it's kind of like the human responsibility in providence. We yep. just don't yep. understand it. So, for instance, in that situation, right, we know what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, right, right because <laughs> of the prayers that were prayed. We don't know what would have happened had Abraham not prayed right. because right. God decreed that he prayed and he did. Right, that's exactly right. That's fantastic. Everybody with us on that one? <laughs> yeah, John 17 is a great example of why we pray. Absolutely, the high priestly prayer is spectacular. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if you want a passage, just be encouraged. Listen to Jesus pray for his disciples and for you. And for us. Right? Oh. I mean, it's, it's there in John 17. It's powerful. It's awesome. Uh, in the parable of persistent widow, does that show an example of prayer changing God's mind? I, I think it shows an example of perseverance. Exactly, exactly yeah. what yeah. I would say. And, that's, and I've found that the Lord has me pray things over and over and over and over and over, yeah. more for my certainly not for his sake, but for mine. Yep. Right. Yeah, and I think it's a great illustration of the fact that there are things that God wants us to pursue him with, right? right? It's almost a how bad do you really want this? Right. You know? Do you really want it? Will you keep trusting? Will you keep depending? Will you keep coming to me? Even when I'm not answering it on the time frame you want me to, you know, it, it's one of those, those great, great teachable moments for us in prayer. Well, and that journey of persistent acting will change your heart mm -hmm. and change your soul. And so that persistence, right, that perseverance yields character, character yields hope, and hope will not fail us. Good. Right? And that's yeah, what, Romans that's 5. But uh, and that's, that's our question list. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you guys for hanging. We do want to get you out of here, so uh, we're, we're 10, 15 minutes ahead of time from when we usually dismiss. Uh, let me pray and dismiss us. Lord Jesus, uh, we are grateful for prayer, God. It's power, uh, God. It's gift, the access that we have to you. We don't take it for granted, God, but uh, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we do. So, Lord, um, I pray that we become a praying people. Lord, I pray that you continue to, to teach us, God, to depend on you. And through that, our relationship with you is deepened. 
uh, God, uh, we, uh, our heart becomes aligned with yours, and on and on we could go. But God, it does not fail us, God, that we have a great high priest. Uh, who enables us to, to come before you, and his name is Jesus. And so, God, we do pray for everybody in line of the storms tonight, that they are safe, uh, God, and uh, we pray that you will help us to continue to bring all things to you. It's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. Good evening.